welcome to the Brain Tools Podcast, where you're going to learn how your brain works and how you can use it to level up your life. It's practical brain science for everyday people. I'm your co-host, Sam, a self-professed neuroscience nerd on a mission to share brain science with the world in words everyone can understand. And I'm Kieran, and I specialize in neuroscience at university and now run a metacognition education startup in Asia. Each episode, you walk away with six practical brain tools that you can use immediately. No fluff, just the good stuff with a side of banter. Plus, grab our show notes, the research, and tons of other free resources, including guides and classes, just by joining our growing Brain Tools community at braintools.mn.co. Best of all, it's totally free. But for now, the Brain Tools Podcast. Welcome to the Brain Tools Podcast, episode 19, where we are going to deep dive into the world of human biases. However, beforehand, people have actually been asking us a lot about how they can help and grow the podcast, and there are some very, very easy ways to do that straight off the bat. The first thing that you can do, if you're keen, is to follow us on Instagram at Brain Tools Podcast or on LinkedIn, where we post all the tools to each of the episodes. Or the second thing that you can do is you can subscribe to our newsletter at braintools.substack.com, which is the show notes. So if you go to the show notes and you do it, you can absolutely do that right now. If you pause... And it'll take you 10 seconds and you'll be able to do one of those two things. And that will definitely help us reach more people to make our brain science practical for everyday people. Now, as we move into today, we've got that out of the way. We're going to look at the world of human biases. And I'm very, very excited because based on what we did within the beliefs episodes, both in terms of self-belief and conflicting belief, one of the things people had asked us was, hey, this makes a lot of sense, but you mentioned this whole concept of biases and how they actually lead to differing beliefs between people. And so what we're going to do today is actually delve into these biases so that you can make better decisions with your life and so, so exciting for you is that we're going to start doing weekly episodes week after week for you, breaking down a new biasy, which is going to take five to 10 minutes so you can get your little uh, splice or spice of brain tools every single week. Now, there's a lot there, but we do have Samuel here. I promise I was just by myself. Mm. Sam, how are you? Bravo, bravo. Another hot interview and a hot topic too, the old bias. I'm, I'm very well coming off a highly social weekend, busy, so... Doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm really glad you're not just being a hermit, you hermit. I'm really glad you actually got out there. You're not a recluse anymore. You've uh, you said people. I uh, I want to see hey, you. People are good for my brain. I listened to that a podcast once that told me that. I just listened to actually a couple. It's called Brain Tools. Go check it out. So <laughs> here, we here we are. Meta. Meta promotion of a, a podcast within a podcast. I feel like you've just done Inception there. It's like, hey, yeah. we've done promotion within a promotion. <laughs> Running ads for our own podcast within our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we've, uh, we've we've got there, um, but I am good, my friend. Uh, rounding out the weekend, episode nineteen. I'm pretty. I'm pretty just pumped. We're closing in on twenty. Yeah, I know it's been a bit of a journey, um, and pumped with the amount of support we've had too. Yeah, so, totally agree. It's been unreal, so. and that's. I think. I think today, to be honest, in terms of chit chat, I think we can just deep dive into biases. And I think the reason why I say that is not because I don't want to have great chit chat with you. I love you. You know this. The feeling is mutual. However, Good. there is a quote that I think that's going to help frame frame today in a nice way because Daniel Kahneman, we love him, um, you know, cognitive uh, behavioral science, behavioral economics godfather. And he basically said that the confidence people have in their belief is not a measure of the quality of evidence, but of the coherence of the story the mind has managed to construct. 
And I think that's a really good way of framing as we get into biases and what they are, because in every single day life, we are constantly making decisions and judgments, both conscious and unconscious, without knowing their outcome. For example, Sam, what do I eat? What do I want to eat? What do I want to Mm. actually do at work? What career do you want to have? There are a bunch of different decisions that we make, but they're both fast and quick. And that's obviously where biases and heuristics can come into it. Yeah, and we make all these all the time. Think about how many hundreds of thousands of even decisions or micro decisions in a day that you make or your brain makes. So what are biases and heuristics? And what they really are are these cognitive shortcuts, these ways we conserve energy by making a decision on a limited amount of information. So they kind of jump into conclusion based on a set of rules you have in your brain and incomplete set of information to help us make decisions more efficiently but with more mistakes. And these results out of the way our, our brain operates. It's actually such a good point though, right? Because the more you think about this in terms of, because people always have a crack at like the quick decisions that you sometimes have to make. But if you can imagine your brain had to like learn over and over again, hey, make, tie your shoelaces again, right? To make the decision to do that, like all these things, they'd be so sapping. Like your brain in terms of conserving oh, yeah. energy from an evolutionary perspective, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, cavemen wouldn't have survived a saber-toothed tiger if they had to figure out what to do every time they saw one. We need biases. <laughs> Can you imagine that, right? It's like, yeah. oh, this thing right now looks a bit scary. Let Hang me on, think for 10 I, seconds. What should I, I do right now? Run away? <laughs> no. So there's an evolutionary, I mean, they're adaptive. There's an evolutionary reason we have them. Yeah, and it's such a good point because this whole concept of behavioral economics that we speak about, again, there is a fair bit in neuroscience and cognitive psychology with it. But Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky, again, don't know how to pronounce that, but they were the co-authors of Think Fast, Think Slow. I'm never going to have my time again with those names. No no idea. Um, But they won the Nobel Prize uh, for economics with their work within behavioral economics. And they were the ones that popularized this whole idea of systems thinking so to speak. So Sam, I'm going to give you the two systems, which I know you're familiar with, but just to sort of define them. You've got system one, which is the largely the unconscious. They're they're learned decisions. They're really fast. And this can be attributed to sort of reflex, right? For example, it's like, you know, I touch a stove. You don't want to think about that per se. And that's a reflex thing that happens. Whereas you've got system two, which is largely conscious. It's slow. It's controlled. It's deliberate. And it's analytical. And this is where your prefrontal cortex comes into play as well. And I think to your point, when we talk about system one, I'll be frank with you. I feel like system one's been given a a lot of heat lately, right? Which is like, system one is bad. This is not great. But as we speak about always, your brain is prediction and learning machine. It does that to save time and energy. Like you don't want to learn how to learn, learn how to drive a car over and over and over again. You want to have these shortcuts. And I think that's a a really key thing to recognize is that they both play a role, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense because if you're relearning everything over and over again, rather than relying on rules that allow you to make those shortcuts and logic, we we simply wouldn't survive as we referenced before. Yeah, totally. Darwinian theory. And I think the key thing to just note is like, I don't want people leaving thinking, oh, awesome. In my brain, there is some part of it that is a system one and that there's a system two. It's sort of like the the left brain, right Mm. brain fallacy as well. And that's not a complete picture. All it simply is, is, is a framework. Again, the map is not the territory, so to speak. Oh, how about a bit of Farnham Street? Oh, I, I, I thought you'd like that yeah. one. <laughs> uh, there's a little jab in there. If you don't know what Farnham Street is, uh, go have a look. It's great. It's a blog. Um, it's very nerdy. Decision nerdy. Oh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's such hype. <laughs> Shane Parrish. I'm, I'm really glad you made that distinction of System 1 slash System 2 being a framework and a concept uh, rather than anim- anatom- anatomical 
information because your brain is not split up into these two systems. And there's a lot of research coming out uh, now specifically looking at the brain as a function of interconnected interrelated networks like there are there are no the no longer we subscribe to this idea of localization why does that matter when it comes to biases well effectively what's happening with biases with these system one related biases is you have these networks in the brain that are optimized for faster decisions by using sets of rules to make judgments and and these decisions and this is happening subconsciously in system one so imagine you've got specific rules when I see a car moving towards me, I move out the way. And then that becomes your, your rule set that you use in that situation instinctively. The errors come into place when these become applied to more complex decisions where you still have these optimized, fast neural networks and decision-making processes, but now they're being applied with less information, more limited information and inputs um, to really, really complex decisions. And so you actually miss or you make some errors. And, and that's one of the biggest problems that comes up. And so there is a, a really good framework put together um, by some researchers. I'm trying to remember what the paper is called. I had it in front of me just before, where they looked at all these neural networks uh, and how they've optimized uh, for quick decision-making and survival-based decision-making. And that's where a lot of these biases come from. Yeah, I, lo- I love that frame that you're using, which is when you talked about the car, which is like we talk, mm. we've talked heavily about if-then plans, right? If this, then that. And it's not saying we're like, we're just simple as that. But again, if you can imagine, if-then gets you only so far, right? And we've got so many thousands of these if-then plans that we've recognized from our sensory mm-hmm. inputs. But again, yeah. if you try and make that more complex, if this, 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 all that, then that, 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 you start to see that the complexity yeah. is not always going to work yeah. so nicely as if-then. Yeah, exactly right. That's a really good way to put it. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm trying my best here. And, and I think this is where your point about whole idea of networks is that where these biases actually come into play. And there's two fundamental reasons why biases come into play when these heuristics are actually being used. And the first one is basically limitation in available data, right? Like we've got our sensors. Sam, I'm not going to quiz you on the sensors. Don't worry. You're fine. Don't do but it. That's <laughs> we've got our sensory inputs, right? And so we base a lot of what we do and our conclusions based on that limited data. We hear a rustling noise uh, in the tree next to us and our you know, danger sensors go off, but okay, go, but it might be nothing uh, nothing of the sort to worry about. But we have limited data there. But the second one, we've spoken about this in episode eight on attention. If you haven't seen that, please have a look, but is our you know finite human information processing capacity. And basically that's fancy of saying, hey, we just can't process a lot of stuff, right? There's a lot of cognitive load going on right now. And, you know, we can only you know, generally take five to nine bits of information in our working memory and we're inundated with so much stimuli. It becomes so, so hard to make decisions when you're overwhelmed by the amount of data that actually comes your way as well. And so when we basically get to this point, Sam, our decisions are suboptimal. Mm-hmm. Like if you're feeding the wrong stuff and you're feeding too much stuff, of course it's going to be suboptimal. And that's where I'm in. <laughs> and, that's <it. laughs> and that's where biases come to play because you know biases exist as a way to make these decisions more effectively and more efficiently so it's you know we wouldn't have biases if they hadn't helped us survive the, the issues come into play with biases that now run counter to so much of what has changed um from a social and cultural perspective Totally. It's that like, arms race between our biology and our environment, always fitting those into. And I think that's a really good position to say, hey, let's look at uh, some more biases in, in some real detail and look at some brain tools. So let's get to that. Let's do it.
All right, and now it's time for the brain tools section where you're going to get four practical brain tools for managing in uh, those conversations around beliefs and conflict, uh, which are emotionally charged. And we, before we get into that, a quick intro, quick seg, uh, and it's really simply this, facts are the enemy. Studies show studies don't change minds. This is a direct quote. Studies show studies don't change minds from Tali Shara, who's this cognitive neuroscientist who looks at beliefs and belief system. So as soon as you get into these arguments about beliefs, whether that be politically, whether that be about vaccines, whether that be about financial uh, situations, avoid facts, avoid logic, avoid data, because beliefs are all about emotion, values, identity, ego, and self-security. So it's really about making the other side feel heard, understood, and safe to believe. So to counteract that survival mechanism. And we're going to talk about how you do that right now with our brain tools. Uh, I totally agree with you. It's like, again, we talk about narrative bias, right? Which is like people, you know, make the decision emotionally and they'll rationalize it afterwards. And not saying that's 100% true. It depends on the circumstance. But I think in any debate that we get to, there's always one mm. main thing that we need to do that we never end up doing. And that's how I'm going to introduce Agreed. my first brain tool, Samuel. And the way I'm going to do this is slightly different. I'm just going to turn this on his head a little bit. I want to ask you a question to set this bad boy up. Go on. Hit me up. Right. Right. So sports. Love sports. Sports, 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 right? My question to you is what do football, soccer, squash, or any sport for that matter have in common? Not uh, a question. I promise you. <laughs> not a, well, I mean, there's always rules. Boom. There's always a way to play. Bang, 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 bang. 10 points for Gryffindor. Well done, Sam. They have rules. Not everyone would might agree with some of the rules. Not everyone might like the implementation or the officiating of the rules, but there are rules and there are umpires. And so in the same vein, when we have a, a, a charged conversation, people often begin talking about something that's quite emotional and quite tense. We don't actually set the ground rules or the definitions prior to do it right? They don't define what are we talking about. And that's where we go down a rabbit hole in the problem of just becoming a really circular with our arguments. So the solution, which is brain tool number one, is define the rules of the game. It's to define the rules of the game. Before you have a conversation that is going to be politically charged and you know it's going to be, define the rules of the game. What's the definition? Well, how long are we going to speak about it? Key topics, questions, and umpire. I'm not saying you sit there with a sheet. In the work setting, it's great to set an agenda, but I'm simply saying before we get dive into this, set some expectations because structure shapes behavior, not the other way around. Mm. Now, that's my first brain tool. Thoughts? I love it. I'm just thinking about the most successful uh, belief conflicts I've ever had, and that's where we've been really clear and articulate about what we're talking about which is kind of this in a way, but less structured. Yeah, spot on. And I think when it comes to implementing this, I'm probably going to lean on it in a work setting first because I think yeah. for like in a business meeting, and we have spoken about this ad nauseum, business meetings, business meetings can be the biggest waste of time. You can end up sitting in a room for two hours talking about the most minuscule topic as people go down a rabbit hole, they get tunnel vision and they're not able to zoom back out. And so I think, as I said, the first thing that I recommend is just clearly defining what are we speaking about today? This is what we're speaking about. Here are what the definitions are. The second thing that I recommend is assign an umpire. That is simply, you know, the arbiter or the speaker as you would be in the house of reps as an example, right? Which is the person that's able to get people out of their um, funk or their circular line of logic. And the last thing that I'd say here is apply the two-minute rule, which is if someone is on topic and speaking about a topic, let them speak for at least two minutes before interrupting them. 
And that's where the umpire can come in and obviously help. In a business meeting perspective, and we've done this before, it can work incredibly well. And I think this is what we then end up avoiding is the topic slip. This is when you like move on from one topic to another without finishing a topic. And you end up like on 10 topics doing like 50% of them as opposed to five topics and completing all of them. And this decreases the emotionality of the argument, which is a surefire mm-hmm. way of reducing the the friction between these conflicting beliefs and leading to a, what we speak about as a massive punch on. And that's brain tool number one. I like it. I like it. Establish some um, some boundaries, some rules, some regulations, so you don't go uh, bare knuckle boxing, so to speak. Yeah, I don't want to fight with you, bare knuckle boxing. I feel yeah. like you'd absolutely roll me. <laughs> so, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Sam's a Sam's a unit. Just want to put it out there. I uh, yeah, look, I, I like the gym. Everyone likes the gym sometimes. Um, at least really. Not to uh, to get back on track too quickly, but it does. Really well. I love well. how hey, this is the brainless podcast. Let's just talk about fighting and boxing for thirty minutes. Hey, hey, hey guys, the neuroscience of boxing. <laughs> hey, tangents. Have you heard of them? Yeah. What are they? Why are we here? Who's God? <laughs> <laughs> that is very good. I'll let you do there your brain. Sorry. There we go. That's all good. It actually does lead really well into my brain tool though, which is brain tool number two. Don't try to win. Try to understand. Uh, I'm just going to pre-frame with a bit of a problem, right? Imagine you've got a heated debate with your sister or your brother or your mother, and you just want to win. There's that innate drive, and we all have it, when you think, I just want them to see my way, to understand what I'm saying. And in this this state of conflict of your beliefs, you're really trying to uh, defend your identity. You know, you're trying to defend that psychological body from the attacks of the other person's beliefs. So you're going into fight, fight, or freeze response. You've got this hyperactive amygdala. You are stressed. You are probably yelling at this stage. Um, You're feeling tense. When this happens, what you want to think before this happens, even before you even get to that stage is reframe from trying to win the belief conflict to trying to understand it. Because from a neuroscience perspective, when an argument starts, persuasion stops. When argument starts, persuasion stops. As soon as you start debating and argue, arguing, you've got this uh, psychological body attack, you've got this fight response, you've got this survival mechanism kicking in. And just to give you a tiny bit of proof that this brain tool is actually based in some science, there was a group of researchers, including Drew Weston, they conducted an experiment, uh, which they wrote in their book, The Political Brain, during the heated campaign of 2004. And in this experiment, they took uh, MRI, fMRI pictures of the brains as they watched footage of their favorite candidates, mm. whoever that was, right? They, they're watching their favorite candidates, their preferred candidates. And what happens was when they saw uh, information that contradicted their worldview in this political environment, um, they recognized the, the clips as being in conflict and the parts of their brain that handle reason and logic went dormant and the parts of the brain that were responsible for hostile attacks. Wow. (laughs) And this is just watching someone speak on a screen. So you can imagine when you're in an argument or when you're in a really intense conflict, this is just amplified 10x. Absolutely. This is reminding me so much of like when Donald Trump got on like screens, right, and people Mm. would just say, I hate this guy. They wouldn't even justify it. It's like, I hate this guy. Yeah. And like the feeling of like Instinctive that, 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 response. that is exactly that associative learning of seeing Donald Trump's tannish face <laughs> and just like oh, the, right? the emotional reaction is just a coupling, right? It totally is. And like Jonas Kaplan, the same researcher who worked with Sam Harris on the other paper, mentions this and I'll just give you this quick quote. It's the brain's primary responsibility is to take care of the body, 
and to protect the body. And the psychological self is the brain's extension of that. So when our self feels attacked, when our beliefs feel attacked, when you're trying to win, the other person's brain is going to bring to bear the same defenses it has for protecting the body. So how do you implement this brain tool? This is a really easy one to, to use in theory, but hard in practice because you've got to remind yourself. But when you're in those situations of conflict, think, All right, I'm not trying to win this argument. I'm not trying to win this debate. I'm trying to understand the other person's perspective. And that's all you should focus on, understanding what they believe. And there's a really great Brené Brown quote to round it out, which is, I'm not here to be right. I'm not here to be right. I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. I love that. That is, that That's deep, by the way. It's all about understanding what is true as opposed to what is right. Exactly right. And preventing that fight mechanism being triggered during those what can be quite intense belief conflicts. So that's brain tool number two. Don't try to win an argument. Try to understand. Oh, this is beautifully set up for brain tool number three, okay? Now, I think, as you said, it's about, well, first we have to define the rules for the game. We need to understand, like, take the position I'm seeking to understand first, not just trying to win. And then what I want to go through here is how do you actually show that? How do you, like, practically go about understanding something in the moment? And I think, as I set this up, I don't know how you feel about this, but generally in an argument, especially if I'm in an argument with my family where I get quite emotional sometimes, sometimes, all the time, mm. I'm kidding. Love you, mum, dad, Ali, all good. Um, <laughs> mom, dad. What I'd say in an argument is we generally take the worst part of a person's argument and we absolutely kill it. We dismantle it. We never actually mm. take, and that's what we call straw manning or straw personing as an example, yeah. which is taking the worst part, going hard for it. We never take the best part of a person's argument and try and make it so it's very, very clear. And I think this, if we, when we take a person's argument and we take the bad parts, quote unquote, that we view, people automatically become defensive. Like you are having a personal attack because remember, this is a person's belief. This is tied to a lot of emotion that they have. So therefore you end up in parallel monologues, not a meaningful dialogue. And so the solution that I want to actually bring to this is something that I picked up when I saw uh, a great debate between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris in yes. Canada. That was a brilliant debate. <laughs> it was a very, very good one. For, for, for context of people, these are two people that really are opposite of the spectrum when it comes to religion and they're having a conversation about it. But the solution is to steal man or steal person. The mm -hmm. idea here, and that's brain tool number three, your job here in this is to summarize your counterpart's argument and generally the strongest part of it. Okay, you assume the person's viewpoint and you ask yourself, hey, why might this person be right? You try and prove their argument correct. Okay, And this is a completely different frame. Think about all the conversations right now that you've ever had that has been, a, mm. a, 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 I suppose, quote unquote, quite charged. When have we ever done this? I put my hand up and say, I don't think I've ever done this in a live conversation outside of like trying to understand what they're saying. I've never tried to prove them right. And so True. I think it's an interesting one, Sam. It's a really interesting one because it's a it's a great reframe. It puts you in that mindset of understanding. Yeah, absolutely. And so implementing this, I want to give a, almost like a bit of a formula to it, which is a, which is you know two parts. Okay, the way to do this is as follows: you want to start by saying with this question stem before you try and summarize what a person's saying. You say, "I'm sorry if I'm wrong," and the real key thing here is when you say sorry, you automatically bring the defenses down. Right? People are not going to sit there and be like, oh, what are you sorry for? I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but, and I know people always say but, but just so we're on the same page or if I've understood you correctly, this is what you're trying to come forward with. And then what you do is you summarize the argument. The building blocks of any good summary are a label. So I've labeled it with paraphrasing and identifying and rearticulating. So you actually emotionally affirm to the other person, this is what your world looks like. And you need to answer 
that particular question. So as I say in a summary, I'll say, I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but just so we're on the same page, just so I understand this is what you're trying to say. Am I correct? And this will happen as a decision tree, Sam, is they'll either say, no, mm-hmm. you've got it wrong, and they'll explain their argument. Or the magic words, that's right. That's yes. right is better than yes. You're not trying to get people to say yes. You're saying that's right. You're, you actually understand me. And I think that's the key thing here is we want to strive for that. Reaching that's right in a negotiation creates a breakthrough. And that's from Never Split the Difference by Chris, Chris Voss. And he basically says here in his book, uh, just to give you an idea, is thoughtful disagreement. But by listening intensely, you demonstrate empathy and you show a sincere desire to better understand what the other side is experiencing as we spoke again, which is brain tool number three, steel manning slash steel person. I absolutely love that you just referenced Chris Vosch's book. Probably <laughs> one of the best books I've ever read. Oh, smooth um, FM, smooth EJ voice, smooth, smooth FM. FM. <laughs> a tactical empathy. And it links so, so nicely because you think of all the times when someone has taken that time, you're in an argument and they say, hey, Kieran, I, I, it sounds like you're saying you believe this because of these reasons and this is your argument and I can see how that would apply here. And you just sit, you instantly feel better. You instantly feel less tense. Your blood pressure just drops about a million points for no reason. You can't even really? tell why. And you, you just feel understood, mm-hmm. which really links into my my last brain tool, um, number four. And almost it's almost you know totally synonymous with this. But as a general rule, it's show before sharing. So we talked about before when you have a conflict in beliefs, they arrive because both sides think, the other side doesn't understand their viewpoint. You know, when you're arguing with friends about who's the goat in the NBA, you start spouting out the facts that agree with you because you think they don't understand why you think Jordan is the goat, not LeBron, or vice versa, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Or when you meet an anti-vaxxer, you think, how can they be so stupid not to understand why people should get vaccinations? And that's what you you immediately latch onto. So you spend the next time, the next 10 minutes trying to tell them why they're wrong. But you don't actually take the first step, which is according to a book called How to Have Impossible Conversations, where they looked at research mm. um, across the whole spectrum on disagreement and uh, specifically emotionally charged conversation. You don't take the time to relate back to them and restate their beliefs, their reasonings and thinking more clearly than, than they ever did. And when you do this, it triggers something in the brain. I love that. That's so because it links so nicely to the idea of the, the steel man when you're talking about yes. it, which is like you're showing, right? I, I've never really thought about it in mm-hmm. that vantage point, which is like actively showing here is the quote unquote evidence of what I'm trying to do. It resonates with people a lot more strongly than anything. Absolutely. You're showing you understand them. And just as a bit of proof on why that is so damn powerful, looking at a study from uh, S. Morelli in 2014 uh, and her colleagues where they found, looked at the neural basis of feeling understood. Mm-hmm. and not understood. And the results in their study and the participants when they did some fMRI showed that when we feel understood, the areas of our brain uh, associated with reward and social connection light up, the ventral striatum, the middle insula. But when we feel misunderstood, the areas associated with negative effect, the anterior insula, the areas associated with self-identity of negative emotions light up. So as soon as people feel you don't understand them, they're parts of their brain that are processing negative emotion that are processing threat detection are active. But as soon as you show you do understand, they connect with you. Really simple. So simple. So effective. This is like Pokemon. It's super effective. Hey, it's a critical hit. Yeah. 
<laughs> get the Pokeballs out that Master Pokeballs. Gotta get some of those rare legendary Pokemon. Um, <laughs> so good. So to make it really practical, right? Next time you're in a belief conflict or an argument, um, re- remember that first rule of trying not to win, trying to understand. And the way you do that is before you say anything back, before you have any retort, before you state your opinion or your belief, just spend a couple minutes showing you understand the other person fully and where they're coming from. So restate their their beliefs and their opinion. Restate their reasoning. Like exactly like you did with the Stillman, totally articulate everything they just said back to you so you show you've understood them and listened because then it's going to trigger the, these are parts of their brain associated with reward and connection. It's going to drop their psychological barriers and it counteracts that natural defense me- mechanism, which psychology re- researchers call reactance or the backfire effect. So it lowers their guard. That's brain tool number four, which is show before sharing. I love it. And it's going back to, you know, every everything that we go, it's like, sh- like the whole idea of show and tell, right? But it's show first, tell mm-hmm. second. It's like it's a very yeah. interesting interesting thing that we've gone through. But I love those brain tools, Sam. I think uh, let's uh, let's go back to the top, shall we? Just to give a let's bit of a summary, it. hey? Wrap so uh, brain tool number one, define the rules of the game. In any other game that we end up playing, there's clearly, clearly rules. There's normally an umpire officiator. Make sure you do the same, whether it's a business or a personal conversation you've got to have. What is the definition of this argument? How long are you going to speak about it? What are the key topics? Doing this means that you avoid completing zero topics um, but, and, but and actually actually get through a lot of the arguments you're trying to do and it means you're less likely to go off track and go into circular arguments. That's the first one, which is define the rules of the game. Strong. And that leads into when you're playing the game, brain tool number two, the aim is not to win. The aim is to understand. Focus when you're in an argument, not on trying to win your argument, but trying to understand the other person. And you will instantly reframe the way you're having that conversation in your mind. You will reduce the need to attack their beliefs, which is attacking their psychological body uh, and then triggering that defense mechanism. And you're much more likely to be able to apply the following two brain tools and, and reach some form of consensus in, in a really healthy way. So brain tool number two, you're not trying to win, you're trying to understand. I love it. And that leads nicely into branch number three because we're trying to create a win-win situation, not a win-loss situation. Become a still man or a still person. The idea here is simple. Restate your person, the counterpart's argument in the best way possible. Not a neutral way, not the worst way, the best way possible. And in doing so, you then either lead to them re-explaining their point so you understand or alternatively, they mutter those two phenomenal words, that's Right. And the moment they get there is the moment you've opened a conversation where you're going to create a win-win situation, not a win-loss situation. That is brain tool number three, become a steel man, steel person. Become a steel man, steel person. That's right. And brain tool number four is putting that into practice. Show before sharing. Use the steel man before you retort at all, before you come back with your counter arguments, before you articulate your belief. Show you understood them so well that they have nothing else to say that they feel they don't need to say anymore before you say anything back because this is going to trigger their rewards circuitry, their connection circuitry. They're going to lower their defenses and their guard, and they're going to be much more receptive to what you have to say. So brain tool number four, show before sharing. Oh, I love cool. that. that whoa, I tell you what, very decent, Samuel. Uh, like I, Good I, I, we, we always give give a pat on the back, but like, hey, solid. <laughs> solid. You know, and I, look, I want to finish with a bit of a caveat in that these brain tools are compared to last episodes, much harder to do in practice because when you're in a conflict and argument, you're emotionally aroused, um, which means parts of your brain responsible for executive function, for thinking clearly, for logical processing reduced. You're really in that fight or flight. But 
if you do manage to use some of these, you'll find that there's less tension in your arguments, that you're able to have much more healthy uh, belief disagreements and both people feel better. And that's what it is about or at the end of that, how we feel after an argument. Totally, totally agree with you. And this is the whole idea, right? It's practice. We talked about, you know, self-directed mm-hmm. neuroplasticity. Doing these things are going to feel really foreign initially, but taking the first step, actually practicing it is going to work really well, which does lead into our 80-20 for the day. Sam, what's your 80-20? 80-20. My 80-20 is beliefs are about identity and self-protection. Don't attack them. It's like throwing a haymaker to someone's psychological body. Start with safety. Start with understanding. I really like this hammer. I feel like you just want to punch me, mate. Like the, the amount yeah. of, the amount of, I'm just kidding. Punch you in your brain with my Love words. Hugs, hugs. Verbal missiles, <laughs> verbal missiles, baby. Uh, my 80-20 for the day, and I know I'm biggest fanboy, but I'm thinking Ray Dalio here. His quote, thoughtful disagreement is not a battle. Its goal is not to convince the other party that he or she is wrong and you are right, but to find out what is true and what to actually do about it. The practical outcome of the conversation, it's better to have do something after it than to just talk about something and do nothing. And that's my 80-20. Well, that is super strong. And with that, we're going to wrap up the episode for this week uh, and the mini-series on beliefs. So if you haven't checked out episode one, go check out that one on self-beliefs, how to form them, how to change them. If you are liking our content, but you want to get a bit more practical, a bit deeper, uh, and you, you want to see how some of these brain tools from today apply in your life or in certain situations, go to braintools.substack.com, chuck your email in, um, or just wait until we release the guide later, two weeks' time from now, just after this episode, where we're going to give some practical episode, uh, practical examples of how to use all these brain tools and, and how they actually apply in real life. Otherwise, that's that's all I've got for today. Anything else, Dad? Nah, we'll, we'll be back next week. But yeah, thanks for your time, Sam. Thanks for everyone for listening in, and uh, we'll see you later. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll we'll see you next week.